Welcome to Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship. My name is Father Yuri Gladio, and I'm an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning. I'm joined by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey holds a doctorate in liturgical theology and is the co-director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto. We're back with part two, talking about the litany of supplication and another evening prayer, Father Jeffrey. Excellent. So last week we talked about the litany of fervent supplication, sometimes called the triple litany. And then we talked about the evening prayer, the very psalm-like evening prayer, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And today we're going to be looking at the litany of supplication. And, And this litany appears... Well, just like the litany of fervent supplication, that appears at the Divine Liturgy and, and some other uh, some other services as well. I believe this does as well, but maybe in a slightly different form. Yeah, so th- this is part and parcel of what you get in liturgical history. There's cross-referencing and cross-influence from the Eucharistic liturgy services as well as you know with the Liturgy of the Hours. Uh, we know that these litanies were in the Liturgy of the Hours as early as something like the 4th century. They're referred to, again, that document that we've talked about before, the Apostolic Constitutions, uh, with some degree of specificity. So, you know, we can say that pretty uh, firmly. But one of the interesting things is we're associated, um, you know, this time of the service in the Divine Liturgy with a kind of progressive uh, dismissal of different groups of, of people. Today, we largely just dismiss catechumens during the Divine Liturgy, but there were, you know, four different groups that would have been dismissed within the early church. You had not only the catechumens, you had those preparing for illumination. So it's that special group of, of catechumens that, you know, towards the second half of Great Lent, we're going to go forward for, for baptism at Pascha. You had the penitents. So in the early church, penance and repentance, confession was done publicly. So if you had committed some sort of great sin, you were excluded from the Eucharistic um, fellowship for some time. And so you came to the first part of liturgy, you were then prayed over with a litany and then dismissed. And then you had the um, energumini, the, the the disturbed ones, um, which is an interesting category and maybe worth a whole podcast at some point. Um, but they were, you know, considered to some degree troubled by evil spirits. They were also given a litany and a dismissal. And so you have in this whole section of the service, including in the Liturgy of the Hours at the time, it's referred to as in the Apostolic Constitutions that, uh, you know, you have the, the the fervent litany or the litany of, you know, asking specific requests for the community. And then you would have dismissed all of the different uh, categories uh, of people. And so one of the ways of looking at the this upcoming litany we're talking about now, the litany of supplication, um, which is going to then end with the prayer of inclination of everybody bowing their heads, uh, is that it is the kind of same thing happening for the rest of the faithful. And that's, you know, pretty much its place within the service. We're getting towards the end here. It's a prayer for the kind of ongoing, you know, Christian 
life and participation in the, in the realities of what have been celebrated during the service, but taking that out, extending that into the world. And there's a kind of dismissal and, and blessing on everybody the same way you would have you know, done for catechumens, those praying, preparing for illumination, penitence, and the disturbed. Um, so it's, it's just us framing the whole discussion here. It, it, that's sort of what, what's happening. And then your reference to this being in the divine liturgy, of course, uh, it happens just before the reception of um, Holy Communion, right before the, the Lord's Prayer. So it's sometimes called there the litany before the Lord's Prayer. But then that's, that climaxes in receiving communion from which, of course, people will be then dispersed, sent out into the world to live out the reality of what has just been prayed for. And so, um, although it's not right at the very end of the service here, nor is it in the Divine Liturgy, it already has that kind of missionary, um, you know, living God's mission in the world sense about it. And this litany is the butt of so many jokes, I would say too many jokes, of you know you're in an Orthodox church when they say, let us complete our prayer to the Lord, and you're still in church for another 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I've heard that one over and over again, but that's how this litany starts. Let us complete our prayer, or in this case for Vespers, let us complete our evening prayer to the Lord. Yeah, well, of course, that's people who don't necessarily fully understand what it means to complete something, right? Um, and, uh, you know, it doesn't mean let's leave behind, right? Let's Let's finish in the sense of never having anything to do with it anymore. I mean, imagine, again, we were just talking last week about the, the God's work with us, right? We are the work of his hands. And if you think about the artist who completes, you know, a work of art, you know, does that then mean it gets binned, you know, that upon completion? No, I mean, then it's there to be, you know, entered into in the, in the full reality of it. So, I mean, if you need to retranslate, let us complete as let us fulfill the purpose, let us bring to fulfillment, you know, that kind of has more of the sense of what the, the Greek here of plirosomen uh, means. Would the word perfect work at all? Let us perfect our evening prayer to the Lord. Well, yes, in the sense of bringing to what its fullness is is meant to be, right? It, it let us bring everything that we've been doing into the, the full reality of what they are to be. And so, yeah, in that sense, it's perfect. Um, although I think that would carry with it just as many problems with connotation, right? Like, well, so we've been doing it wrong up to now or you know are we going to just take out the errors or something like that it's, which is not really what we mean it, we mean like let us fulfill our you know maybe that's probably the best um way of, of rendering it in a way that kind of makes sense for for everybody it, mm-hmm. you know it, it's the same sense of you know teleology of the telos uh, you know although it's a different word that's being used here in greek but it, it, let, let's bring this to its entire purpose you know, let, let's do what the fullness of what this was intended to be was. Um, and I think fulfill maybe carries that a little bit more. If complete suggests leaving behind, um, you know, strike it, strike it off the to-do list, <laughs> uh, which isn't what it's supposed to be, it, you know, then let's say fulfill or something like that. The next petition in the litany of supplication is help us, save us, have mercy in us and keep us, O God, by your grace. So, that petition seems to always be the transition petition in any litany that it's in between 
the first part of the petition, the first part of the litany, and then the latter part of the litany. Um, am I am I picking that up right? Well, yeah, I think choirs learn early on that if they hear that, they know that's going to be the last Lord have mercy. Right, exactly. See, I think as a, I think like a choir director. <laughs> well, no, you know? you're not wrong because obviously in in the the litany of peace as well as the little litanies, you know, we hear that, and then the next petition is going to be um, to you, O Lord, rather than Lord of mercy, right? Well, here we're going to make a transition to the grant this, O Lord, petitions, right? So it's a, it's a different response to what the deacon or presbyter is praying than, than was before. Yeah? But we're going to get a bunch of them, not just one. Right, right. So then the third one here, that the whole evening may be perfect, holy, peaceful, and sinless. Let us ask of the Lord. And now we've made that transition from Lord of mercy to grant this, O Lord. So we're asking in particular for things, uh, yeah, that the whole evening may be perfect, holy, peaceful, and sinless. That sounds a very reasonable thing to ask. Well, absolutely. And as I say, this is the extension from what we're doing now into a kind of future space and other, you know, future time and other reality, other space, right? So, so part of what we've been talking about up until this point is really about gathering from the whole world into the here and the now, right? That's what was happening at, you know, in the early stages of the whole Vesper service about attending to what we're doing. We've come from the world with our struggles, with our stories, with our isolation into the covenant community of God gathered in worship. And we're, we've been, everything has been about, you know, standing in the right way and paying attention and bringing all our hearts and minds into the right space. But now if you can sort of see this extension beyond that to realize that we're not going to stay here, right? We can't actually park ourselves here. We can't do what, you know, St. Peter proposes on the Mount of Transfiguration, like we're going to pitch tent. It's good to be here. We like this. You know, I kind of don't want to return to the world outside with all of its trials and tribulations and the isolation that I felt and, and struggles and so forth. You know, and remember back to Lord, um, I, I call upon you and all of the things that we talked about that, you know, the, the, the way of sinners and, and, and the struggles and the temptations of the world outside, those were real, you know, and we know that's what awaits us. And so as we think beyond this present moment of being in the court of God amongst his people, let us pray that this perfection and holiness and peace and sinlessness can go with us. So as we go out into the rest of the evening, into the rest of our lives, into the rest of the world that we have to live in, may that go with us is the kind of sense that we're getting from, from this. Yeah, absolutely. Let's maybe bite off, maybe let's do the next three petitions. Um, and because there's so much here, we could spend years looking at all this. So mm -hmm. uh, an angel of peace, a faithful guide, a guardian of our souls and bodies, let us ask of the Lord. Pardon and remission of our sins and transgressions, let us ask of the Lord. All things that are good and profitable for our souls and peace for the world, let us ask of the Lord. So these all seem like very reasonable and normal things to ask. I, I, I don't feel uncomfortable, you know, sometimes, you, you know, when we, um, uh, like in that evening prayer in the last episode we did, oh, you know, oh, despise not the work of your hands. That can be sort of 
if if you're not understanding it correctly, can maybe make you feel a little uncomfortable. But these these aren't making me feel comfortable at all. These are glorious, glorious petitions. Yeah, and so this is some of the stuff I was talking about earlier that is referred to as early as the fourth century when we when it talks about the liturgy of the hours at, at that time. I'm just going to read you a little bit from the Apostolic Constitutions here, so you can see just how you know even this, the very language we're using is referred to you know back then. So when the evening has come, you shall assemble the church bishop, and after the lamp lighting psalm that we've talked. About, about has been said, the deacon shall proclaim the petitions for the catechumens, those who are disturbed, those who are preparing for illumination, those in penance, referred to all of those. And after the dismissal, the deacon shall say, and all we faithful, let us pray to the Lord. And after he proclaims the petitions of the first prayer, um, he shall say, save us, O God, and raise us up by your Christ. Arising, let us ask for the mercies of the Lord and his compassion, for the angel of peace, for what is good and profitable, for a Christian end, for a peaceful and sinless evening and night. Let us ask that the whole time of our life be blameless. And let us commend ourselves and one another to the living God through his Christ. And so, you know, I think it's just beautiful to think that, you know, at least since the fourth century, every time that people have gathered together for their evening prayer, that these words have been been prayed. And this is this is kind of, in a way, a, like a constitution for the community that has gathered as it goes out into the world. If we think about this as the kind of life that this community should be living in the world, right? That it, how should it be characterized? And to me, it's it, it therefore a lot, very reminiscent of something like the Beatitudes, right? That we have, you know, sung, it's in the Sermon on the Mount, but also sung during the Divine Liturgy and so forth. So what should characterize our life, right? Peace and, you know, forgiveness and, uh, you know, that, that, we live our lives by by repentance and by bringing this kind of uh, sinlessness and and peace out into the world. That all that encounter us will be actually drawn back into the very community from which we've emerged. Right. So uh, this idea that you know by the rays of of the life that we lead, people will be will perceive that and be led back to the very sun, the source of all of this. We've just, you know, prayed about, you know, that in, in that, you know, evening prayer of vouchsafe and so forth, you know, that, that God is due worship, praise and glory. Well, we will make him uh, receive that from all people in the world if indeed we can live out this kind of life guided by God's angel of, of peace into a life of, of wholeness and, and, and goodness and, and peace for the whole world. The podcast you're listening to reflects only the public half of the overall project of enacting the kingdom. Father Jeffrey and I actively post new episodes on our completely separate private podcast. This private space gives us the freedom to debate and discuss open and sometimes controversial questions regarding the Orthodox faith amongst a smaller and more dedicated audience. If you become a patron now, you'll get immediate access to our growing backlog of private episodes, including a discussion on the ordination of women and the coronavirus multiple spoon controversy. To get access to this private podcast, go to pryingpriest.com. Looking forward to having you join our growing community on Patreon. Now back to the show. Yeah, I'm, you know, now that we're talking about it and I'm looking at these petitions, there seems to be like the steps on your life's journey almost, right? 
you know, mm-hmm. beginning with, you know, an angel of peace, a faithful guide, right, to guide you on your way, a guardian of our souls and bodies, and for pardon and remission of our sins and transgressions that we commit on the way. You know, all things that are good and profitable for our souls and peace for the world that we may comp- And then finally, that we may, well, not finally, but that we may complete the remaining time of our life. You know, now we've kind of shifted to looking forward, the re- remaining time of, of our life in peace and repentance. And then finally, a Christian ending to our life, mm-hmm. painless, blameless and peaceful and a good defense before the dread judgment seat of Christ, which is that ultimate, you know, yeah. eschatological end. We've, uh, we're extending off. this as far as it can go. Right. I mean, yeah. that's the point. Yeah. It, it, I'm not just saying, you know, we're praying for the next day, the next moment. We, we, we mm-hmm. refer to the evening, but then it gets extended, extended, extended throughout our whole life. How should our life be characterized? You know, uh, this this is where the rubber hits the road, as it were. You know, we're talking about the road. How is the rubber? going to hit the road and it's this way you know and it's so it should extend to the very end that we can possibly think of which of course is christ's return or his reappearance in glory and our standing before him what life are we going to have offered him as a result of our coming together in his family here in his presence and you know offered these prayers and asked for this mercy asked for this, these blessings to be to be upon us you know this is the point in the service where you know it seems like it's become a little bit more sedate uh, you know after all the kind of more frenetic activity around processions and giving peace and doing readings and and the prokimena and that activity there's been you know incensings and all kinds of things and it, there's always this there's a stillness that kind of descends here right in a kind of contemplative way but actually you know this is this is the part that ultimately matters more than anything else, you know, and we've referred to before uh, St. Simeon of Thessalonica, you know, from the 15th century, who has given us a whole commentary on liturgy, you know, at that point. And of course, in Thessalonica, they had, they still had the cathedral uh, version of the liturgy of the hours as late as the 15th century. But he talks about this part of the service in an interesting way. You know, he says that um, during these petitions, you know, specifically these ones about you know, how we extend this in, into our life and everything, uh, you know, how we implore God's protection for our souls and for our lives. And we really offer ourselves, you know, to God. He says that some pious men uh, become ecstatic during these petitions. And then like, they, 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 you know, this is a, a real charismatic moment. There's a, there's a kind of a, a way in which the Holy Spirit is acting in people's lives and you can just imagine the kind of outpouring of this kind of pentecostal you know experience on the community at this point because here we're asking for this to go with us into the world and so forth so he specifically mentions that this is a really powerful spiritual moment you know during the service and of course he then says we also see others who who don't feel what's being said through spiritual perception, right? So, so you can, you can have come to this and miss it. You can have come to this and not actually have this happen to you. So you have to be open to it. You have to do what the deacon or the presbyter is saying about paying attention, using all your heart, all your mind to enter into this, uh, to this moment. Because if this is important stuff about how everything that's just been experienced in the service is going to be taken with you out into the world to transform the world. And then, of course, we have the usual two, you know, the, the, the endings here with the to you, O Lord, and the Amen. And then we move into uh, an evening prayer. And that is introduced by the presbyter offering the peace. 
And which I again, mean, very important moment. We let's, let's not miss these. This turning towards the people of God mm-hmm. and offering the peace. I mean, we refer you back to what the earlier discussion of that. But uh, you know, it's not. It's not just a time filler, right? It's not just uh, we need some transition to the prayer or anything like that. It's always offered as God's blessing upon his people, the, the, the true peace that passes all understanding being given to his people. And in a way, it, that is kind of the summation of everything that's just been prayed for, right? The, these petitions for God to go with us into the world. How is God going with us? We've used this word already a few times, but it's God's peace, his shalom, Irene, that is what we carry with us in our hearts. That is the ultimate blessing of God's mercy upon us, is that we go out with his peace into the world. And then, of course, we then get this prayer of inclination, of the bowing of heads, where originally the bishop would have, you know, certainly the senior, you know, person presiding at the Liturgy of the Hours, but, you know, in the earliest church, the bishop always is the one who comes and lays his hands on the people to send them out into the world. With this, you know, which again is a is a you know recollection, a very physical, tangible recollection of the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? Because at baptism, what happens is you come out of the water, and then the hands are laid on you, um, which of course develops into the whole sacrament of chrismation and so forth, which is our ordination into church ministry. But this laying on of the hands, the apostle laying on hands is the conveying of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, in our lives. So of course, this is a charismatic moment, a gifts of the spirit moment. The bishop or the presbyter is, you know, you're, today we just have the bowing of heads. Hopefully people are at least bowing their heads when they're told, bow our heads to the Lord. And by that bowing, we are rediscovering the, the, the glory and the grace of Pentecost. And, and the prayer that comes then is, is in that vein. Yes, so let me read the prayer and then we can talk about it. O Lord, our God, who bowed the heavens and came down for the salvation of mankind, look upon your servants and your inheritance. For to you, the fearful judge who yet loves mankind, have your servants bowed their heads and submissively inclined their necks, awaiting not help from men, but entreating your mercy and looking confidently for your salvation. Guard them at all times, both during this present evening and in the approaching night, from every foe, from all adverse powers of the devil, from vain thoughts, and from evil imaginations. Blessed and glorified be the might of your kingdom, of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. Right. Yeah, so, there's a lot there. There is. And uh, we mentioned earlier about uh, in the last week's episode of the prayer that came after the treble litany about the meaning of vouchsafe, right? About God stooping down towards us to, to protect us, to, to guard us, to give us his grace. Well, it starts the same way here, the same idea, right? With oh, Lord, our God, who bowed the heavens and came down for the salvation of mankind. So it's a... Uh, uh, you know, it's not that we have somehow by our bootstraps pulled ourselves up and, and, and lifted ourselves up to his presence. It, it's all his grace, his activity, his initiative that has led us um, to this place and to mm-hmm. his protection and to his, you know, ultimately charging us and commissioning us for doing his work in the world. It's not about us. It's about the mission of God himself. And, and 
I just want to observe something here because this use of the word inheritance, right? We think of, you know, oh Lord, save your people and bless your inheritance. There, there's definitely a sense of communal like salvation, I guess, is the way mm-hmm. to put it. Um, like it's not look upon your individual people and bless them all individually. Um, it's look upon your servants and your inheritance, right? Mm-hmm. And we we together are, you know, a holy nation, you know, a royal priesthood. Family, um, right? I mean, yes, it's, it's, yeah. it's inheritance calls forth family, right? Because it's only within families and descendants within families that, that you receive an inheritance, right? Uh, an heir is somebody who who follows, you know, in a line of succession. And so, you know, ever since the call of Abraham, God's inheritance are those who are in the family of Abraham, which is what we are called to be. And by being in Abraham's family, we are in God's family. We're made sons and daughters of of God himself. And so that's, you know, we are heirs of God. Christ makes us children of the Father the way he is son of the Father. He puts us in his place. By by putting us in his life, he allows us to say to God, our Father, right? And so um, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's a beautiful expression of, of precisely this community, this covenant community of God that he has established that is a family. Yeah. And it makes me think that when you have your head bowed for this prayer, you shouldn't necessarily just be thinking that this is like a, an individualized prayer that you are actually attached to those around you. Mm -hmm. When this is being prayed, you are being joined together with, you know, the people in the other pews, so to speak, um, that together you are, receiving you know the salvation yeah right um yeah and then moving on from here for for to you the fearful judge who yet loves mankind and and then again we we have that um that um not the paradox but the juxtaposition of like the awesomeness the fearfulness of god who sits in judgment but who loves mankind Mm -hmm. right that it's this um this power and this mercy that are that are there together, right? Both of which are you know enduring, right? God's I mean, we've already invoked the righteousness of God, which is what His judgment is all about. I mean, there would be we can't on the one hand ask God to put things right, put things right, you know, to to upend evil and to to fix all that ails the world without God. Judging. I mean, God's righteousness and judgment are the same reality. Um, and we've spoken about extending this experience of God's grace and blessing and peace throughout our whole lives, right as far as we can possibly imagine, which is to say, to that moment when all is put right at God's judgment seat. So, of course, this theme continues to be evoked here. But that mercy of God, that that covenant love and care and grace for us is also until that moment, right? So, so it's not something ultimately to be feared in a, in a, you know, negative sense. The, this is kind of the fearfulness of and dreadness uh, of God is the, that he is awesome, awful, you know, in the, in that um, traditional sense, not uh, one who is to be feared because he's a tyrant, because he, you know, oppresses, because he, he, he doesn't look after the righteousness. Uh, he is the one who brings things 
to the way they are meant to be. And in that regard, we are to be participants in that. And so therefore we are being, we're submitting ourselves to that will, to that project, to that plan that God has for the world. And then we move into this part of the prayer that says, um, that talks about us that have our heads bowed, right? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You know, for to you, have your servants bowed their heads and submissively inclined their necks. So that would be a strange thing if you indeed didn't have your head bowed at that point. Um, Somehow people manage, you know, to ignore all these, you know, instructions, stand upright while I slouch against a a pillar of of the church or sit in my pew or, mm -hmm. you know, pay attention while I am distracted by, you know, the, the light on my phone or something like that. But here indeed it, it could be all kinds of things. Of course, often this prayer has to be said is taken quietly or silently in a lot of churches. So people wouldn't necessarily be hearing this. So they would have heard the instruction to bow their heads to the Lord. And then they'll hear the exclamation at the end of the prayer without much in between, which to me is a little bit sad because as I say, as early as the fourth century, this is one of the key moments of, of the service, this commissioning that the bishop is doing uh, to to send people out into the world, charged to live the reality that they've just experienced. So it's very important that people hear this. Absolutely. It reminds me of a story, if you'll entertain me for, for, for if you'll entertain a story for me here, mm-hmm. um, of when I was actually attending Holy Murbears, your your church in Toronto before I was ordained a deacon. And one of my friends there was Joseph and uh, we would sing in the choir together. And he had this running thing where uh, every time we came in the divine liturgy to the litany of the catechumens, you, you know, it said catechumens bow your heads to the Lord, right? So it's a call for the catechumens to bow their heads. So in theory, the faithful who are already uh, received into the church should not bow their heads, right? This prayer is not for you. This is prayers for, is the cate- for the catechumens. And so he would like, put his shoulders back and like lift his chin up, you know, in the air. And, and, uh, and we would do that every time and, and chuckle with each other. Maybe we were being, uh, maybe not as solemn as we should have been at that moment. In the I hope you were also praying for the catechumens who had bowed their heads at that point. <laughs> right. Of course, of course. Um, okay. Yeah. So then we talk about, uh, we got a couple of minutes here, Father Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe let's go to that middle section there. Guard them at all times, both during this present evening and in the approaching night from every foe, from all adverse powers of the devil, from vain thoughts and from evil imaginations. I always find this part actually quite powerful because um, it sort of covers, it covers some of those nighttime fears that we have, I think. Right. And, you know, we spoke about this when we were talking a lot about, you know, lighting lamps and the gathering around the hearth light of, of evening, which becomes the, the, the whole basis of the, you know, gladsome light hymn and so forth of, about talking about the, the service, remember, has taken place at sunset. And so right at the moment of lighting the lamps and of singing oh, gladsome light, you know, the, the, the last rays of the sun have gone down. So by this point, it's rather dark. So and we're thinking about being commissioned to go back out into the world. But what does the world look like now that we're being sent into? It's dark, right? It, it's, it's cold, it's bleak, it's desolate. And again, think mostly before Edison and electricity and light bulbs, you know, that's pretty pervasive. You know, unless you're carrying some sort of light with you, you're going to be stumbling through the dark. And who knows what lurks out there, right? So the, all of the night terrors 
that we are familiar with from cultures, from our own childhood, perhaps, um, you know, and if you've ever had the opportunity to be somewhere where it's really, really dark, you know, you'll know what we're talking about here. But that, of course, I mean, there's the reality of, yeah, there could actually be something out there. I mean, let's not, you know, pretend otherwise, but it's also deeply, deeply symbolic, right? From, from human tradition and every culture and so forth, the things that are in darkness are to be feared. And so everything we've said about, you know, we have to go back out into this world. What is that world going to be like? It's still going to be a world of temptation, a, a world of struggle, a world of, of strife, a world of, of sickness, a world of death even, right? And so we need protection. You know, we've prayed for God's angel to be with us. We prayed for God's peace to go with us. We're just asking this in, in this commissioning prayer. There's an extra prayer of, of protection of God upon us throughout this evening and the approaching night, you know, and which is symbolically, of course, the rest of our life, right? Because it is an evening. It is a night until that day dawns, the day of the Lord, when he comes in his glory and appears to all the world to be what we already know him to be, which is the Lord of everything, heaven and earth. We need protection from foes, from adverse powers of the devil, from vain thoughts, evil imaginations, um, all of the things that could possibly pull us away from everything we've just experienced in this moment, this time of worship uh, together. And so you're right, it's, it's a really, really powerful you know, prayer. It's maybe one that we don't feel as viscerally as we could, you know, if we had the reality of, of, of the, you know, this place where we are with warmth and light is a kind of refuge where we have taken, you know, some protection and some, some, uh, some moments together, but we know that we, we have to be stiffened and strengthened to, to go back out in, into the world. We don't feel that as much when the corridor outside the church is lit with electric lights and there's electric lights along the road to take us home. And when we get home, we just flip on the light switch and everything is, is fine. We don't feel this in quite the same way that this prayer intends, but it's, it is really, really powerful if you understand it in this symbolic sense that the world is yet dark because although they've been emptied of their powers and authority, they do still hold sway until our Lord is revealed to be all in all. I think that makes a great end, Father Jeffrey. Well, that and blessed and glorified be the might of your kingdom, which is precisely the all in all that I'm talking about, right? That, exactly. That, you know, so, so indeed, when that moment is revealed, then we won't need these prayers of protection. You've just finished listening to another public episode of Enacting the Kingdom. If you're getting value from this podcast and you'd like to support the show, you can head over to pryingpriest.com to become a patron. Also, five-star ratings with written reviews go a long way to getting the word out there about this show. Also, since Enacting the Kingdom is social media free, any word of mouth recommendations you can make to your friends and family would be greatly appreciated. We'll see you next time.